Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. On today's episode, we're talking with Dan Shapiro from Penn State University. Dan, how goes it? Great. So why don't you start off with uh, telling everybody how you got into faculty affairs and faculty development. You know, I started as a professor at at the University of Arizona as an assistant professor um, with you know, a lot of clinical responsibilities and uh, did some writing, et cetera, and ultimately was recruited to be chair of the humanities department in the College of Medicine at Penn State. And I did that job uh, for about seven years and then got pulled into doing more administrative work for the dean's office and then um, was ultimately blessed sort of as the vice dean for faculty administrative affairs uh, in 2015. Um, so I do things like I recruit chairs, I evaluate the chairs, I play vice principal sometimes. Um, there is an office of faculty development that reports up to me and, um, uh, diversity and inclusion associate dean also, uh, her office reports up to mine and then, uh, you know, faculty affairs kind of, you know, the promotion and tenure process. Uh, also, and then I do a lot of as-needed jobs um, as well. Can you give us a sense of how um, big your office is? How many people are doing what kinds of jobs? Uh, sure. Um, the diversity and inclusion office, I think, has uh, four people total. Um, the faculty development office has three. Uh, what we call faculty affairs, which is promotion, uh, ten- promotion and tenure has another, uh, well, right now it has four because we're, tra- yeah, uh, transitioning a baton. My office has, um, four total and that includes parts of an analyst, uh, there's a, a psychologist who does a lot of analytics for us. There's a financial guy who does a lot of the business side of what's happening in some of the department, um, and then um, an administrative assistant and myself. Okay. That's really the whole the, the whole show. Yeah, good. Now, was that office in place when you came on board and you and you assumed your position, or did you build this up? This up? So there was a vice dean when I first um, became a chair who actually recruited me, Kevin Grigsby. Oh, of who, course, yeah. Uh, who left after uh, after I'd only been uh, around for about a year? I think maybe it was something I said, and then <laughs> um, and then that office did not there, that office didn't exist for many years. Uh, the dean, whom Kevin had originally been working with when I arrived, left, and when this new dean took over, um, you know, as a product of a conversation between the two of us, we kind of, I think, both thought that there were a bunch of jobs that needed to be done, and the job, the, the, the office was kind of, you know, reinvigorated. Yeah. Did you recruit your folks um, internally, externally, or a combination of both in all these diversity, inclusion, the, the faculty affairs, the faculty development, your office? How how they come about? Um, both. The yeah. faculty development has been internal. Um Diversity and inclusion was external. We stole her from Cornell. Um, that's Lynette Chapel Williams, and she's just fantastic. Um, 
we just turned over the Office of Faculty Development. Barb Ostroff was in that spot, and she just became a dean, uh, not a dean, a chair of pediatrics in Albany. So we recruited internally and had some really stellar candidates. And Jennifer McCall Hosenfeld is, has taken that role and is just running with it, gangbusters. Uh, Faculty Affairs is about to turn over, and we recruited that internally as well. Wow, good. So what, what kinds of things are you doing that's uh, maybe you, unique or different or something that you're excited about that you kind of um, on the top most of your mind that you'd like to tell us about? I'd say a, a couple things. We've had some innovations in recruiting chairs and that we have them do simulations, um, which is an unusual part of an interview process. Oh, I remember um, you talking about that. Yeah, tell us about that. That is really creative. Well, you know, it's it's pretty common for uh, chair recruits and chair candidates to have had illustrious, you know, research or clinical management experience, um, you know, illustrious careers or clinical management. But the job, the real jobs they have to do every day require um, – a level of emotional intelligence that we don't always we don't always capture if all we do is celebrate uh, a vita. Yes. So yes. we're having we have our chair candidates do a brief interaction with a simulated disgruntled faculty member, and the faculty member isn't you know a once in a lifetime upset. They're generally just mildly disturbed about something. And usually there's a little bit of an accountability issue somewhere in their camp. And we give the, the scenarios to the candidates a couple weeks in advance. And then when they're here um, in front of the committee uh, as part of their interview, they do this kind of brief simulated uh, interaction. And um, it's been discerning. It's been you have an actor? We have different people play the role of actor. I did the first few. But then um, that the role of disgruntled faculty member has been played by over you know five different people, depending on the search. It's really not hard mm-hmm. because you know yeah. the people on these committees are generally faculty themselves and have mm-hmm. you know a pretty good idea. And we just coach them. You know, it's not an over the top once in a lifetime thing. Just be mildly irritated. When you say brief, how what's what's the length of time on average? And then is it, it do you debrief the whole um, interaction? Yeah, that's a good question. The whole thing takes about 10 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, the interaction part. And then afterwards, we ask them what they thought about it, if there's anything they would do differently, which is a nice opportunity to see if they're reflective, you know, particularly yeah. if they did something odd for them to go. You know, like one guy said, when I really like this, he said, uh, you know, I made a joke, and it was a little too early for him, and I shouldn't have done that. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh, that's, you know, this, here's someone who's reflective. That's that's what we need. Inside, yeah. Um and, you know, being the one of the people who plays the role of vice principal in the organization, part of this is just self-preservation on my part. When I have chairs who are engaged and can manage tense situations with faculty and advocate for faculty, but also hold them accountable and, you know, have the emotional intelligence to give a nuanced message, then my life is easier. If they can't do that, if they botch even simple interactions, mm. then, you know, then I'm the one of the people who has to clean up after them. And, zero, yeah. uh, Did, yeah, have you developed tough. like an, a rubric that the committee uses after that candidate leaves where you kind of go through a number of competencies? Uh, you know, um, we have not done that. And, um, 
you know, the, the rubric is a great idea. What we've done instead is just ask the committee to vote on whether they think it was a pass yeah. or not, you know, to yeah. use their judgment. And we've had very few times when there's been much disagreement in the committee about mm-hmm. on the key and it's different committees uh, about what they saw the vast majority of the time they, you know, people agree and it, now, they're not hard to pass. I think. Yeah. Now that brings me to faculty development. Have you thought about, or do you already build in these kinds of emotional intelligence training sessions where you're helping people develop this skill and this ability and be able to be reflective and, and thinking about interactions with others? We have a few um, venues. We have a, a kind of emerging clinical leader um, program that takes uh, that meets once a month, and there's usually a topic, and it rotates, and people have to bring their own challenges. So, you know, like they might say, "I've I've got a faculty member who's a little bit of a bully mm-hmm. working in the clinic, and I don't know how to handle him." And then they, you know, you brainstorm things you've tried, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, I don't think it's very easy to teach emotional intelligence, honestly. And by the time you're a chair, if you don't have it, mm. it's too late for me. Good point. This is too much at stake. And, um, you know, I, I wish I could say, yeah, I think this is absolutely doable, but, uh, I find the job's hard enough for people with exquisite yeah. emotional intelligence. Yeah. I think being a chair is enormously difficult to yeah. do well. I'm curious how you... So that's, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say that's one. The other the other is I think we've done some innovative work um, in burnout. Tell us more. Um, we, I've got a little team that's just publishing our model in the American Journal of Medicine, which is a little bit more robust, I think, than your typical burnout evaluation, which is like, you know, kind of binary. Are you burned out? Are you not burned out? Mm-hmm. This is looking across levels. So starting at the basics, you get, are you eating when you're at work? Are you dehydrated? Uh-huh. Uh, you know, are you, are you suicidal? Kind of the fundamentals first. Then assessing, do you feel physically safe? Do you feel like your job is safe? Moving up from there, do you feel you have a basic level of respect? Do you feel respected by the machines you interact with? Does the parking gate open when you swipe your card? Oh, wow. Do the people around you respect you? Do you do you feel like you work in a civil environment? Then up from there, do you feel appreciated? You know, do you do you feel like the system notices when you go out of your way to do, you know, excellent work? And then at the top, do you have the resources and autonomy to actually heal patients? Are you, you know, are you doing the work? that's meaningful to you? Are we making it possible for you to do that? So we're trying to assess across these different levels and then intervene to, you know, improve life as we, as we need to. So that's amazing. Um, that's like a, a Maslow it, hierarchy of needs kind of thing. Exactly. I'm amazed that's that you exactly took advantage of these things that are, we take for granted. I love that. Does the arm go up in the parking garage with 90% of the time at our, at Hopkins? It doesn't. And you people, you see people starting their day off in the morning raging that they can't even get in right. the building. Right. So you can, I, I've started joking that I can beat mindfulness meditation with a glass of water. <laughs> if, if everyone is dehydrated and, you know, then I can do a lot more for them in a glass of water than I can with, you know, even if they had 
45 minutes to meditate. Isn't that something? Because it's run, 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 run. It's this cult right. of busy. And it, it's some kind of badge of honor to say, well, I haven't eaten in a month and I haven't had a bowel movement in six weeks. And oh, I yeah. haven't gone, right. you know, <laughs> I haven't urinated in forever. Yeah. This is not something to be proud of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're not exactly modeling self-healing for the population we're trying to treat. Now, how did you um, how did how did you come up with these this this comprehensive holistic approach like backing this train up to the the very basic essential? Did you have a com- whole committee that came up with this way of thinking, or did you conceive of this in your team? How did this happen? Um, I was doing a burnout evaluation for Brown Lifespan, um, the four hospitals out there, and Kathy Duquette is this brilliant. Um, you know, she, she manages all of the nursing. She's the chief nursing officer for the whole system. And she was the one that kind of looked at everything we were assessing and said, this, this is Maslow. And then we, as a team, uh, adapted the hierarchy to more to think about kind of physician and health professional wellness. Yeah. But it's made it, it, it helps organize the response. Like start with the basics. Yeah. Don't, don't start with, slapping mindfulness meditation in there. In fact, I had a quote in one of the assessments I did that was something like, I don't know who put up the meditated lunch flyer in the men's room, but if I find them, I'm going to choke them out. (laughs) (laughs) That was written by a physician who was just so frustrated with you. You you don't change. You won't change my life at all. You know, you, you, but you'll, You'll tell me like it's my fault. I'm not being mindful enough instead of, and oh. then I, I meditate sometimes. I have nothing, <laughs> I, I have nothing against mindfulness. I just think it's a thin way to fix systems problems. Well, that, that so reminds me of we have a great, um, talent management organization development unit at Hopkins and they have these wonderful programs on anything from communication to negotiating and et cetera, et cetera. And the one they offer is time management. And I had a faculty member email me and said, this is beyond the the pale. This is gone. This is not even disrespectful. It's completely ignorant. You're offering us a time management course that goes from 8 a.m. to noon, four hours a day time management. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's insulting to our faculty members. I can only imagine the game. Are you kidding me? Seriously? Time management in four hours? Can't we make that simpler, people? So that you're so right. I love how we let's stop a minute here. Let's focus on the basic essentials. I love a drink, a glass of water for crying out loud. Inhale and then maybe exhale. And we have to fix the stuff that doesn't work, you know, like the parking gates. Before we go on to more advanced stuff, let's help people to feel a fundamental basic level of respect. Yeah. 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 Love it. What's going on around your leadership courses? Talk, talk a little bit about what kind of stuff's happening in your faculty development. Um, so a number of years ago, Barb Ostrov and, and even before her, um, Anna Yang, uh, cultivated relationships with our business school. And hmm. they've created a really nice um, sequence uh, that includes some time away from work. Um, to do a, a leadership training that's been really beautifully 
um, reviewed and people are very enthusiastic about, and it continues to evolve. And you know, they've taken a real learning and uh, learning culture approach to it, which is let's keep making it better and better and better. And and so that's that's been great. We also, you know, as you know, try to take advantage of what's available at the AAMC, yeah. you know, for chairs and others, and of course the GFA, which I'm a huge fan of. So, um, you know, we, we this leadership training through the business school you said is a sequence. Is it like a cohort program where yeah. they are starting at yeah. a junior level and progressing through the um, academic continuum for mid career, late career? Because we oh no, yeah, we yeah at Hopkins no, we're, not we're recently saying, gosh, we're so good for junior faculty. We recently started something for senior faculty and late career retiring faculty, but we've got virtually nothing for those mid career who were been associate professor for a while. And maybe in new, um, newly pr- promoted professors, we we got nothing going on there. We have a, a nice, like you say, a nice junior faculty development program that was um, started by started by Dr. Thorndike actually when she Luann, was at Penn, ah, Penn State. Yeah. Luann started this with with colleagues, and that has continued to flourish. And then we have this other one, this cohort, but to the business school that people honestly all across the leadership continuum take. So it isn't really geared just to one segment, mm-hmm. but we have the same, and we have, you know, we've been doing this very small cadre of emerging clinical leaders, which tends to be either division chiefs or medical directors who are running a clinic um, or who aspire to run a clinic. Um, but we don't, we don't have anything for uh, more advanced folks mm-hmm. uh, at all. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. We, 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 too, are trying to think about what that might look like, and it's people a little bit more mature, maybe retraining, thinking about mentorship or new and different ways to retool. So we're, we're also kind of challenged with what that might look like and how we might meet those needs. I think it's a really underdeveloped area. We have been doing coaching. We have used both we had an RFA and solicited names from all across the country, you know, from our colleagues, yours and mine from all over, and have a nice cadre of coaches who've, who've done a, a, a nice job. And every time we hire a new chair or even the president of our hospital, we get them, with chairs, we get them some internal coaches who are other chairs, but also hire an executive coach for them for the first year. Um, and, and sometimes that's helpful, I think, and sometimes, I, you know, I get mixed results back. I think, and I, I personally, I think the, the, you know, jury is still out on how effective coaching is. I, you know, I really, I really don't know what the secret sauce is, but yeah. sometimes folks are really enthusiastic about it and feel like they've gotten a lot of insights and it's really helped them in difficult situations. And other times I get back and sort of, eh, you know, Meh. Yeah. we're, we've kind of dwindled. We're not really talking that much anymore. I don't know. So you're talking about external coaches brought into your institution to help the, the existing faculty. Have you uh, or has anyone expressed interest internally about training, say, senior faculty to be coaches to junior faculty? Um, we have one ex-chair who's doing that, but mm. we have not had, um, we haven't done anything like the, the Stanford program where they've, they've really tried to cultivate a large group of uh, internal senior faculty to be coaches. Yeah. Do you have a retirement academy or anything like that for your uh, senior or retired faculty in Hershey? There is an Emirates 
faculty group who get together and have coffee, but we have not had success at really in an organized way taking advantage of their wisdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're trying to do that real hard at Hopkins, too. There's a lot of interest in our near retirement and newly retired folks to continue teaching or help review grants and help writing manuscripts. And they're, they don't, we're not really into the coaching, but there's been some interest from our, frankly, our new faculty, the junior folks who are hearing about more sponsorship and coaching. And they, you know, they want to, they say, hey, do you guys have coaches? And, you know, we certainly don't have that kind of a resource to provide coaches to all new faculty, but that's kind of starting to bubble up and we're, we're curious about that. Did you also, you mentioned your, you know, this awesome burnout program. Do you have a chief wellness officer? Have you gone that direction yet? Um, as a result of the surveys we did, we discovered that we had higher depression rates than we'd like to see. Um, and we successfully joined resources with our GME office and hired a psychologist uh, who just started less than a month ago um, to really serve as sort of a safety net and coordinator for wellness. So we're Mm -hmm. not calling him a chief wellness officer, Mm -hmm. but um, he was doing some executive work for Johnson and Johnson for a while. And, um, you know, he's really just started to get to know the lay of the land. Yeah. But, um, you know, we're, we're hoping for big things. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you do the uh, your own ingrown faculty satisfaction survey, or do you do the faculty forward for the AAMC faculty? We grew our own. Uh, the the burnout survey we built ourselves, and uh, you know now we're doing it. We just, we did it for Lifespan and Brown, and uh, actually starting Monday we're going to do the same thing for Allegheny's Aid Hospital oh, wow. um, out in Pittsburgh. So we we like this because it's. Um, we think we've hit the sweet spot with how long the survey is, and it at the end of it, uh, faculty and other docs go, "They get me. They really get me." You know, and and we like that. So we think we've we've trimmed the noise. Um, I know some people are real fans of the faculty forward survey. I I wasn't quite as enthusiastic as as other folks, so we grew our own. Yeah. Yeah, we also have our own homegrown. I, we do it every two years, and yeah. we we too had a little bit uptick in um, some dissatisfaction and and burnout. So we we got a fifty percent effort chief wellness officer internally. Just oh, recently. that's great. Yeah. So what else is anything new you want to tell us or inspire some of our friends out there who are maybe just finding themselves fallen backwards into academic affairs or faculty development and um, any words of wisdom for them? Uh, you know, it's uh, it's really great, honorable work. I think it's a really fun way to complement other pieces of an academic career. And I am still constantly confused and stimulated by this work. So, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's absolutely worth throwing oneself into. I love that. Constantly confused and proud of it. That's good. It keeps yeah, us yeah, interested no, it's reality. engaged. <laughs> yeah. Well, well I love wonderful. that you're doing this podcast. Yeah. And, uh, you know, keep up the great work. Thank you, Dan. This concludes another episode of the Faculty Factory Podcast. Thanks, Vice Dean Dan Shapiro from Penn State.
Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.